great to uh, see what God's doing here. Great to see what God's building here. It's great to see his church. And uh, wonderful that uh, this morning we've been so enjoying the love of God. We've been so enjoying his presence because that's primarily what the church is. The church is God's presence on earth. It's God's manifest presence. It's the place where God shows up. I mean, it's quite amazing, isn't it, that you can come to a university hall or university buildings in Wrexham in Wales and you can come in and suddenly God's presence is amongst us. I don't know whether you sense that this morning in the prayers, in the prophetic, as uh, our brother spoke in a, a, a language that he'd never learned or studied, as our other brother brought the wonderful interpretation of the love of God and the experience of the love of God. God's with us. His presence is with us. And that has always been God's heart. It's always been God's passion to dwell with his people. I don't know if you uh, have ever thought about that right the way through the Bible. It's something that grips me a lot, actually, that it's always been God's heart. It's always been God's desire to dwell with his people. God doesn't want to be absent. God is not an absent God. He's a very present help in time of trouble. He's God with us, Emmanuel. And uh, right at the beginning, as we read those first few chapters of Genesis, we see as God made us, as God made man, his passion was to dwell with man and how he walked with man in the cool of the evening and fellowship with man and talked with man and enjoyed our company and we enjoyed his company. But then, of course, we chose to reject him. He's never rejected us, but we chose to reject him. We chose to go our own way. We, like sheep, have turned and got lost and gone our own way. That was our choice. We did that. Our fathers did that. We've done that. We've turned our backs on God. But God has never, ever turned his back on us and on on his back on humanity. And right the way through the Bible, the Bible is God's story of redeeming us back, buying us back redemption of God's story of having a people again for his presence. Now, we're at the kind of end of that story, really, But just remember the beginnings of that story. Remember how he first did it. He picked a man. He picked a pagan man. It's interesting, Anne and I were in Scotland last week on holiday. We went to visit our church plant in Inverness for a few days, then had a few days off. And while we were with our church plant in Inverness... Uh, we, were, we visited some ancient cairns. Now, I don't know if you know what a cairn is. I didn't. In fact, the church leaders are called Eric and Alison Cairn. They're not that ancient. But an ancient cairn is like one of these burial, sacred burial sites. And uh, we visited this sacred burial site in, uh, in just outside Inverness, just near Cawdor. And uh, they reckon they're some couple of thousand years B.C., probably some 4,000 plus years old. And it was amazing how these cairns have been lined up with the stars. I'll be careful how I go with this, but they've been lined up with the sort of zodiac, I guess, and the awareness of the stars. And you could be buried in one of these cairns and just at the point you were being buried, the sun would have been coming in or the sun would have been setting, whichever way round it was. And what was so amazing to me, I just thought about it, a couple of thousand years before Christ... In Scotland, there were people that were looking up at the stars, thinking that their fate lay there. Almost exactly the same time in the Middle East, God arrested a man called Abraham. And he said to that same man, now you look up to the stars and your descendants are going to be as numerous as them. 
Because your fate doesn't lie in the stars. Your fate lies in my promises to you. And God took hold of that man, Abraham, and made out of him a mighty nation, the people of God. And of course, the Old Testament is the story of the people of God. And we read how, through many difficulties, through trials, through tribulations, God has preserved the people. They went down to slavery, into Egypt, under Joseph, but God brought them out again because he has a passion to dwell with his people. I've just been reading in my own devotions just this last couple of weeks the story of Moses and how Moses, under God's anointing, brings the people of God out of Egypt and brings them to the promised land. And it's like God dwells with his people. It was God's sign, his presence. It said the glory of the Lord came and filled the camp. It said they were led by the presence of the Lord. It said that Moses was to build a tabernacle, a tent. And it said the glory of the Lord came and filled the tabernacle, filled the tent. The presence of God was with them. And Moses could go in and speak to God like a man speaks face to face with someone. It was incredible. And yet there was separation for the people. They had to have elaborate animal sacrifices, which was pointing forward, of course, to the coming of Jesus. Of course, when they enter the land under probably the greatest king of Israel, King David, David, is, David wants to build a house for God because God says, I'm going to build a house for you, actually, David, a, a dynasty for you. I'm going to build something for you. And from your own family is going to come a, a king of Israel. One who will be the bright morning star. One who will usher in the promises. And of course, David starts to make a physical temple. He starts to collect for that. He starts to arrange for that. He's not allowed to build it, but his son Solomon does build this magnificent temple, this incredible edifice. edifice. It's easy for me to say magnificent temple. It was one of the wonders of the world. The Queen of Sheba would come and just, this is incredible. And it was said when the temple was dedicated, it said the presence and the glory of the Lord came and filled the house because God wants to dwell with his people. God wants to manifest his presence with his people. And he said that even the priests couldn't minister because the glory of the Lord so came and filled the house, so came and filled the temple. But of course, they still had to do the animal sacrifices. They still had to go through the various rites and rituals because as yet, God's people weren't reconciled with himself. Of course, all that points forward to the coming of Jesus. All comes, it all culminates in Jesus' own coming. When John, when Jesus' best friend John writes the biography of Jesus, it's amazing how he starts about the Word of God creating all things. And it said, The Word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, the words John uses, the actual words he uses, is Jesus tabernacled amongst us. His glory came. His manifestation of the glory of God came and dwelt amongst us. We were able to touch him, handle him, but God manifested his glory amongst us. It was the message. I won't call it a translation, but uh, the, the, the message paraphrase said, God came and pitched his tent on planet Earth. God is with us. That's the story of the Bible. 
that God wants to come and dwell and come and manifest himself with us. And of course, when Jesus ascended up to heaven after he had completed the great sacrifice that we were talking about this morning, after Jesus had died for our sins, after Jesus had made peace with us and God, after Jesus had taken on himself the anger and the wrath of God for our wrongdoing, to make us one with God, to reconcile us with God, to make sure there were no animal sacrifices needed anymore because he was the Lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world. Once he'd done that, once he'd made purification for our sins, as the writer of Hebrews said, he, after he was raised to life again, ascended into heaven. But he told his disciples to wait And in the waiting, he said, now you wait because I, once again, am going to send my presence to you. This time, it's no longer going to be just amongst you. Jesus said he, referring to the Holy Spirit, is going to be in you. And that you are going to become like living temples, like living tabernacles. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God came upon them. The Spirit descended from on high and filled them. And it's like every one of them was filled with the presence of God. And they couldn't keep it to themselves. They couldn't keep in their church meeting. They couldn't keep in their upper room. They spilled out onto the streets, singing and praising God, speaking in other languages, just as we heard today. The glory of the Lord filled the streets and 3,000 were swept into the kingdom that day. That's God's plan for the church, that we might be an edifice filled with glory, spilling out into society. Now, if you've got a Bible, all that was an introduction to these few verses that we're going to read together in Ephesians. They're some of my favourite verses in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're just going to read the end of this chapter. Just uh, two or three verses. We'll pick it up from verse 19. Paul, in context, is talking about Jew and Gentile being reconciled together because of what Jesus has done. You see my Scottish ancestors standing on their cairns, looking at the sun, looking at the stars, were separate from God's people. They were separate from Abraham, who looked up and saw the stars. But through Christ, the possibility of reconciliation of all nations has come. That we can all be reconciled, Jew, Gentile, Greek, slave, free, male, female, rich, poor. We can all be reconciled together in Christ. It's the glorious in Christ truth (coughs) that Paul's been preaching about in this book of Ephesians. And he then talks about us being built together, made one together, one new man in Christ. And he picks it up, we'll pick it up from verse 19. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and aliens. See, those people 2,000 years ago in Scotland would be foreigners and aliens to God's promise, to God's covenant. But we, now as Gentiles, and I don't know if there are any Jewish people in the congregation here this morning, I guess probably not, so therefore most of us would be aliens, most of us would be Gentiles, most of us would would have been strangers, but we now have been brought near. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's house, or household as it says here in the NIV. We are God's house. A house is a dwelling. We are now God's home. 
We are now God's dwelling place. We are now the habitation of God. You used to have to go (coughs) to a temple in Jerusalem. You used to have to travel 2,000 miles and even then you wouldn't be admitted because you're not a Jew. You could go to the outer courts, court of the Gentiles, but you couldn't come right in. And even if you were a Jew, you'd have to be of a certain family to go in. You'd have to be of the Levite family. And then you could go into some of the courts. You could go and take part in some of the rituals, some of the sacrifices. But even then, only one man from one tribe, from one nation, once a year, could actually enter into the Holy of Holies, the very dwelling place of God. And he did that with fear and trembling, making blood sacrifice for the people. The Bible says one man has entered on our behalf, our great high priest, who's made sacrifice with his own blood. Why? So that we all can enter in to God's presence. Members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone or foundation, that means. In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's have a quick look at what this house for the Lord looks like. And then let's apply it to us here in Wrexham. It's built on the right foundation. Every house, every building has to be built on a right foundation. If you don't build it right at the beginning, it doesn't matter what you build on, it will crumble, it will crack, it will lean, it will topple, it will not stand. Many people gather in the name of Jesus, but don't get the right foundation in. So it's important we get a right biblical, doctrinal foundation. In the early church, it says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the apostles' teaching. And it's really important here that in, as we build this church here, Gateway, that we are building on a right foundation. It says built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. What is this foundation? Well, it tells us. Jesus. It's built on him. The local church is built on a foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not just a correct doctrinal understanding. You might go through it in a creed, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, etc., that he died for our sins, that he was resurrected. You can understand a basic creedal statement and yet have no relationship with the Saviour and have no relationship with Jesus. The local church is built upon every one of us having a living foundation of Jesus in our lives, a personal foundation that we're actually attached to Jesus. We're built on Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, Paul says, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. No one can lay any foundation other than the one 
laid, which is Christ Jesus. You can't lay another foundation. We can't just build this church on a foundation of friendship. So that's what some communities try and do, just, just friends together. Some people just do it on common values. No, you can't do that. We build it on a foundation of Jesus and what he's done and our personal connection to him. Now, I don't know, I don't know the north coast of Wales very well, but my, I actually enjoy going to it. We, Anne and I, on, on our days off, quite often go to Landidno, although I can't say that. Has it said, Nigel? That's it, just like that. Did <laughs> know? Um, I, I can't even say it. Uh, I, sorry, I said I wouldn't say any racist jokes. So last time I came and I, I told an American joke and I got chastised for that. I won't insult the Welsh language, but I just I, these are beautiful when I hear it, but I just can't say it. Too many L's and Ch's. But we love going to Landidno. I have to call it that because that's all I can say. We just love it. We love the the area of that North Wales coast. It's beautiful coastline and. Uh, I don't know whether you, I'm sure you get it there because you got it in my hometown of Hastings where I grew up on the south coast. Do you get Seaside Rock? You must get that in Landidno. Must, yeah, do you know what Seaside Rock is? Candy, Seaside Candy. And it says the name right the way through. Actually, probably not many Welsh towns have it because there's too many letters in it. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, real, yeah, you might get real or <laughs> prostatin probably. Or, but, you know, the idea of Seaside Rock is it, it says... Hastings or Landidno all the way through. It doesn't matter where you break it, it still says it. You know, if it's Landidno, if you break in the middle, it doesn't say Brighton or Hastings or Scarborough or somewhere else. It says Landidno all the way through. That's like the local church. Wherever you break us, wherever you touch us, wherever you intersect with us, whether it's youth group, whether it's our social action, whether it's our children's work, whether it's mission, whether it's uh, our worship team, whether it's our leadership team, wherever it's our small groups, whatever it is, you break it, it says Jesus. It says built on Christ. It doesn't say built on ambition, built on a leader's character. It doesn't say built on just friendship or just being nice together or just some social set of values. No, we are built on Jesus and on a personal foundation and a personal relationship with him. The message translation of this, it says this, Jesus is the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. It's a relationship with Jesus that holds us together. Not just following Nigel and his love for galaxy, chocolate. Not just being part of a movement, part of New Frontiers or Christ Central, which is part of New Frontiers. It's not just being part of an evangelical church or a charismatic reformed church. No, it's being part of Jesus. It's being joined personally to Jesus. It may be here that there are some folks who haven't yet been joined to him. You've been looking in at this church. You've been coming regularly. And what is it about this group? Well, we're joined to Jesus. We're rooted into him. We're founded on him. And if you want to be part of us, it's not about coming to our meetings. It's not about signing up to a set of values. It's not about following a leader. It's about being rooted into Christ, being in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever flown from Stansted Airport. I don't have any reason why you would fly from Stansted Airport from here. One or two of you have. <coughs> from here, you go to Stansted Airport. It's cheap, yeah. After you've paid £300 of fuel to get there, it's a cheap flight. <laughs> if you, Next time you go to Stansted Airport, look up at the ceiling. You never do that because you're always looking down or looking at the <coughs> checking desk. If you look up at the ceiling at Stansted Airport, it has an internal 
skeleton of steel and it's all pulled together. It's all the steelwork. It's normally hidden in buildings, but in Stanford, they've exposed it. And you can see all this steelwork comes together and it's all held in position by these massive bolts. I mean, they are big bolts. They're about as big as Phil. You know, they, I know it's hard for you to imagine that, but they are. You know, they're really big bolts and they, they just hold the whole thing together. The architects, when they were building it, nicknamed these bolts the Jesus <laughs> bolts because they said they held everything together. Jesus is the one who holds us all together. Our relationship with him, our in Christness, holds us all together. That phrase in the Bible, see, we call ourselves Christians. That was an abusive term aimed against us originally. It means little Christs. The New Testament word for being a Christ follower Paul uses it 134 times in his letters, is being in Christ. You see, we're not just building on a cold, grey, concrete slab. We are incorporated organically into Jesus. We're taken out of the world, out of our humanity, and we are wonderfully incorporated into Christ. So that now, everything that's true about Jesus is actually true about you. You see, we were singing a lot about the love of God this morning. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes you worry. Sometimes you think, I haven't been good enough this week to be loved by God. I've done some bad stuff. I've thought some bad stuff. I've seen some bad stuff. I've I've said some bad stuff. And you think, well, if 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 I read my Bible a bit more... Perhaps, I'll, perhaps God will like me a bit more. If I pray a bit more, witness a bit more, then perhaps God will like me a bit more. Actually, the truth is this. You can't be loved any more by God than you are this morning because you're in Christ. As a Christian, you're incorporated. You're joined into Christ. You see, Jesus said, no one will pluck you from my hand. Do you know why? You are his hand. You're joined to him. You're the body of Christ now. You're not just built on this cold grey slab. You're incorporated into Christ. Another illustration that Paul later uses in Romans is that we're grafted into this olive tree. We're we're wild olive. We're wild branches. But we've been grafted into Israel through the root of faith. We've been grafted. We're organically now joined to Christ. We're in him. See, Let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus is loved of God this morning? He's loved by the Father. I mean, that's a silly question. Of course he's loved of God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You are just as loved because you're in Christ. The same is true of peace. Is Jesus at peace this morning? Is Jesus at peace with God? Yes, he's the Prince of Peace. How about you, struggling with anxiety and fears and worries? Do you know what the truth is? You're at peace with God. Now, you might not be experiencing that, but the truth is you are at peace with God right now. Same is true about righteousness. Is Jesus righteous this morning? Of course, he's the king of righteousness. Are you righteous this morning? Oh, don't know if I feel, I didn't ask you if you felt it, I asked you if you are righteous. Mm. See, I don't necessarily feel very English this morning, but I am English. 
unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I just am. I have a passport that tells me I'm British. I don't. F- I mean, yeah, I could have woken up this morning feeling a little French, you know. <coughs> but it doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I feel, because I am biologically British. You are supernaturally in Christ. It doesn't matter what you feel. Feelings are irrelevant, actually. We line our feelings up with truth. The truth is you are righteous this morning in Christ. He has taken all your sin and covered you with a robe of righteousness. You're in Christ this morning. That's the foundation that is laid in the local church. That's the foundation that we must get, knowing who we are in Christ, that we're loved, that we're at peace, that we're secure, that we're righteous in him. Because if we get that right foundation, we'll actually start to live like Jesus. Have you ever thought there's not an awful lot of instruction in the New Testament about what the church is like in community? You get hints, you get whispers, shine like stars. Let your light be seen by men. Always give an account for your faith. There's not a lot, but there is a lot about Jesus and how he lived. And the truth is, we're in Christ, and we're called to live like Jesus, because we are in Christ. That's the foundation of our faith. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. It is, because, it is because of him, that's God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from, from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That's the foundation. Let's have a look at, look at the building. This is God's home. This is God's building. It says it's being built. Verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in which, in him, you two are being built together. Now, God is building us together here this morning. J.B. Phillips, in his translation or paraphrase, says this, each piece is properly fitted into its neighbour, harmoniously fitted together. And it's a picture of a stonemason deliberately picking a stone, deliberately picking Something that will fit into the right place. Not mass production, not like our modern uniform red bricks. All the same, you know, all in all, you're just another brick in the wall. (laughs) This is about a stonemason. The image here is of a stonemason picking a particular rock, a particular stone to fit exactly in the right place in the building. That is what God has done for you. He's picked you, hand-picked you to fit in this building. And he's fitting you. The stonemasonry term is dressing you, which sounds very nice until you realise how they dress a stone with a hammer and a chisel. And God uses that. He dresses you. He chisels away at you. He makes sure that you're fitted in to the wall. God's not caught out by you. It's not, oh my goodness, where do I fit this one? Where do I fit? This is an awkward one. This is a difficult one. Where do I fit this one? No, God has handpicked you for purpose. God wanted you 
with your shape, both physically, your character. See, most of us are slightly embarrassed about our characters, who we are. We're trying to be somebody else. We're trying to be like Nigel. We, or not, as the case may be. <laughs> We're trying to be like somebody else. But actually, you're unique. God has made you to be you and wants you to be you. And has made you with all your ways that you might fill a particular shape. We talk about a God-shaped hole in the soul, don't we? On Alpha, we talk about a God-shaped hole in humanity. But actually, there's a you-shaped hole in this church. And God has taken you and gone to a lot of effort to get you. Think about your life. He's gone to a lot of effort to get you to this place. The place where you were born, the family that you grew up in, the university you went to, the job that you're doing. He's got to a lot of effort to get you here, to fit you into this wall, because there's a unique place for you. There are no leftovers. It's not like, all right, I'll, I'll buy two in case I break one. You know, get a two-for-one offer or something. There's a two-for-one, oh, I'm just a bit broken, all right, God's not going to use me, he's used somebody else to fit the wall. No, it's not true. I grew up, as I mentioned before, in a town called Hastings, and in a town called Hastings, there was a man called Mark, and Mark used to love riding his moped. The thing that Mark used to love most of all is taking his moped apart. Much to the annoyance of his wife, he wouldn't do it outside or in his garden, he'd do it on the kitchen table. He would bring his moped in, he would strip it down, which I was ever so impressed with as a 16-year-old lad, that anyone could strip a moped right down to the nuts and bolts. The only problem was when Mark reassembled the moped, in his Tupperware greasy box, there was a few odd screws and bolts and nuts left over. And I would say to Mark, Mark, where do they fit on? He said, oh, they're probably spares. No, they're not. They came off the motorbike. They're probably pretty vital. God has no spares. It's not, you're not some little nut in a greasy tray at the bottom of God's universe. You're just left over. You're just spares. No, you're vital. Actually, it's vital that you get the right nut screwed into the right place if you're building a machine like a motorbike. How much more valuable is the local church that we get you in place? We get you perfectly fitted. This word here is perfectly fitted, perfectly aligned. God is perfectly aligning you, perfectly fitting you. As Peter will say in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Sometimes we miss the being built. We don't come out of the quarry all nice and neat. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones Pause to genuflect, of course, in Wales. <coughs> Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that was a joke, by the way. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was uh, probably one of the greatest uh, expositor, expositing preachers of the last century, he happened to be my parents' pastor, actually, in London, as they went to the Westminster Chapel, where he was leading. And uh, he wrote this in his study on this chapter. Very unlike the doctor, he, and by the way, the, you know the doctor isn't Matt Smith. You know the doctor is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> little cultural reference for the younger ones there. Sorry. (coughs) Who's Matt Smith? (laughs) That's John Pertwee for you. Yeah, that's right. It's it's exactly right. This is what Lloyd-Jones says. We are all awkward people. (laughs) It's it's very unlike the doctor. We are all awkward people. That's what he said. I won't do it in his his voice because I I can't, especially in Wales. It'll be offensive. He was Welsh, of course. (coughs) We are all awkward people. We are all rough-hewn stones as we come out of the quarry. We're more or less in the right shape, 
but there is much need of chiselling before we fit properly into our particular place in the wall. And God is about a chiselling. And he's about a chiselling in Gateway right now. He's about a honing of you. And the way God does that is not on your own, in your study, with your open Bible, as you're singing your worship songs. Oh God, come and chisel me. Oh, oh, oh. I, f- I feel a little chiselling. Oh, oh. As you step out, oh, look how better dressed, look how better shaped I am now. No, God doesn't do that. Do you know how God chisels you? God chisels you when he rubs you up against somebody else. God's tool for chiselling is a tool of relationships. Relationships are not an op- optional extra. I don't know if you've ever bought a new car. We have a couple of times many years ago when you could buy relatively cheap new cars on zero interest rate. Can't now. And, you know, they would say to you, you have optional extras. And in my day, it was things like a radio. <laughs> was an optional extra. These days, they're all thrown in. You know, radio, CD player, MP3, whatever, it's all thrown in. You know, air conditioning was almost unheard of. That was amazing optional extra. But things like wheels and engines weren't optional extras. They were pretty important that you were buying that with a car. Listen, relationships are not optional extras in the church. They're not, well, you can have them if you like. No, they're essential. How we relate to one another is absolutely essential to how we're built together. And if this church is going to be built correctly on a right foundation with living stones, we must make sure that we're building right relationally. That we're being chiselled, yes, we're being fine-sanded, yes. But we're doing that in a context of relationship. Wayne Grudem says this, sanctification, which in the context he's using that word is being made more like Jesus. Sanctification is a corporate process in the New Testament. It's something that happens in community. That's what God's doing with you right now. Relational difficulties are not a possibility or a probability, they're a certainty. You will face relational difficulties. You will find that, that person is sanding you up the wrong way, <laughs> that they're chiseling and knocking bits off you. But it's actually for your good. Because when Jesus builds his church, we get relational difficulties. In fact, we find out that there's also an enemy involved in this. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not win. Who ever mentioned anything about that gates of hell? I just want to build a church. I just want to be a pastor and love people. What do you mean hellish gates? No, there's, there's warfare. When we're establishing this church, which I believe is a massive bridgehead for Wales, massive bridgehead particularly for the north of Wales and particularly for the north coast of Wales, You don't exist here just for yourselves. You don't exist here just for Wrexham. God has called you as a people to declare his his glory in Wrexham and in the north of Wales, particularly along that north coast. God's given you many promises and prophetic words about that. As we do that, you will be opposed. There is somebody who's not very happy about it. There's an enemy of our souls. And you will experience conflict. Now, God, in his sovereignty, will use that conflict to sharpen you, to refine you. But we do need to understand we don't fight against flesh and blood. It's not just because Nigel's so annoying. No, no, sometimes there's an enemy, although he is. (laughs) 
just for the MP3 download. That was Callie, his wife. <laughs> just because we have relations, you know, we under- need to understand that there's an enemy who's trying to do that. Now, I think as a church, you've been under particular attack here. And we need to recognise that. And we need to be mature. We need to be grown up. We need to be not unaware of the devil's schemes. He's tried to bring you down. He's tried to cause relational difficulty between you. He's particularly targeted your leaders because that's what the enemy does. Those who put their heads above the parapet tend to get shot. And leadership is all about putting your head above the parapet, about leading. Now, I want to commend your leaders, actually. I want to say in a day of attack, in a day of difficulty, they've done well. They've held together relationally. Yeah, they've readjusted their roles. Some have stepped down from certain positions, but not stepped down from relationship and friendship and commitment together. And we just need to be aware, church, that we're under attack. We just need to be aware there's an enemy trying to shake us. But actually, when the wind of enemy opposition blows, it's actually that wind that will cause us to grow in God. It's an illustration I've used many times before, but I'll use it again in case you haven't heard me say it. Do you, some of you are southern softies like me and will remember the great storm of 87. Do you remember the great storm? Nigel slept right through it. Is that right? Is it, how could you... The Lord gives sleep to those he loves, Nigel. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, for those of you who don't remember, it was an, hor- an horrendous storm. It was awful. Uh, literally, uh, houses were blown down, trees were uprooted. The place we lived in, Hastings, there was many people killed, actually, in our town. Just up the road was a town called Seven Oaks, which became One Oaks overnight. <coughs> in our local park... Our great, we had these great specimen trees in our local park. They were fabulous trees brought from all over the world. Alexandra Park, kind of built by Victorians, but destroyed by the great storm of 87. <laughs> and literally, Anne and I have got these pictures of all these great trees having gone down like matchsticks because Hastings had never experienced wind like that. Just go a little bit out further along the coast. You come uh, to a place called Dungeness. And in Dungeness, they've built a nuclear power station <laughs> Nobody complained because actually it improved the view. But (coughs) Dungeness isn't the prettiest place on planet Earth. It's mainly a spur of shingle where nothing really grows apart from these few gnarled trees that stand in the prevailing wind. They don't stand like this, they stand like this. And they're they're kind of all bent over, leaning (coughs) in the direction that the prevailing wind is blowing from. Yeah, they're, they're kind of leaning that way. The wind's coming this way, they're leaning that way. They're all gnarled. And you think, wow, if these great mighty trees in Alexandra Park went down, I bet that lot were decimated. Do you know how many of those gnarled Dungeness trees went down? None in the great storm because they were used to standing in the prevailing wind all the time. They had made sure that their roots already went deep down into the subsoil. They had to cling on to the rock for dear life every day. And when the wind came, they they wobbled a bit. Do you remember weebles wobble, but they don't fall down? They wobbled a bit. (laughs) We're living in the 1970s today, by the way. (laughs) They wobbled a bit, but they didn't fall over. Listen, 
we don't cling to Christ, he clings to us. And actually, the wind of opposition, the wind of difficulty that blows in, that's so uncomfortable, that blows your leaves off, that is unsettling, actually causes you to cling more to Christ and for you to be aware more of his clinging to you. And actually, God is using opposition. God is using difficulty to refine you as a church, to build you stronger. We've talked about this building. It says also, it's not just being built. It says it grows. It rises, verse 21. And I believe, as I was praying for you this morning, I was out walking early this morning, just praying for you. I believe God again gave me his promise for you. And it's growth. And sometimes you think it's been such a long, hard journey. It's been such a long slog. You know, we've added ones and twos. But actually, if you stop and think that when Nigel and Callie came here on their own, how many years ago? Seven, Seven years ago, they were on their own. It was just them. Now look what God's done. He's multiplied you. 70, 80, 90. Look what God's doing amongst you. Now, we read all the books about church growth. We don't want to be 70, 80, 90. We want to be 700, 800, 900. Because that's who writes all the books and that's who gets all the press and all the story. But actually, God has built a solid church here. And we need to rejoice in that. It's risen. It's here. It's grown. It's on a right foundation. It's got lives that are being built together. It's happening, dear friends. But God wants more. And God promises you more. Because you've got the foundation right, because you've got the solidity in the base, and it takes longest to build down, it's then quicker to build up. And because you've got the base right, because you've got the foundation right, I believe God promises you growth. Jesus talks so much in his parables about growth. It's all about seeds and it's all about things like trees and fields and investments and growing and things starting very small but growing very big. And although you're a very small tree here this morning, God's promise is for you to be very big. And for your reach, there's a verse, and Jesus tells a story about the, the smallest seed in their day was the mustard seed. It was a little tiny fleck. And Jesus said the, the smallest seed can grow into one of the biggest trees. Apparently the mustard tree was one of the biggest trees. The smallest little fleck in Wrexham can grow to be one of the biggest trees in the forest. And God is promising you growth. I believe this verse is for you, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 9. Paul says, I planted a seed and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. See, Nigel planted a seed. Others have come along and watered it. I'm I'm adding a bit of water to you this morning. But it's not Nigel or me or New Frontiers. God makes it grow. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. In case you and I get any clever ideas. We're nothing, mate. (laughs) But God who makes things grow. He's the one that the glory goes to. The man who plants and the man who waters have but one purpose. That's growth. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. See, it's the same analogy again. And I believe this 
growth is to be in our DNA as a local church. Finally, last point. We've talked about the foundation. We've talked about the building being built together, it growing. It's filled. Verse 22. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Something miraculous happens when we come together like this or when you come together in your small group, your connect group, or when you meet for coffee or when you meet together in homes or outside a school gate or in a factory or in a classroom or in a college. Something miraculous happens. Jesus said it, Matthew 18, verse 20. Where two or three come together in my name, there I am. There I presence myself. We've come full circle to know that when the church gathers, however we gather, and this isn't just about our Sunday meetings, lest we get religious about that, but whenever we're together in, in Jesus says where two or three, it's actually hard to have a meeting without two or three, but where there are two or three, however small, there I presence myself. I put my glory. I put, now you do a word study on the presence of God. You do a word study on the glory of God. Moses, he was leading the people of God. The people of God were stiff-necked, rebellious, And occasionally, God said to Moses, one particular memorable occasion, look, I've had enough with this lot. I'll send an angel with you into the promised land. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, I've gone for that. I'd have gone for that deal or no deal. I'd have gone for that deal. I'd have gone for a real angel. I mean, these days, people are fascinated by angels. I mean, you'll actually send an angel... Yeah, if the deal was this, Nigel, you know, actually next Sunday morning, an angel will turn up here. I know some of you probably think an angel's turned up this morning, but no, a, a real angel, I'm joking, an angel, a real angel will turn up here. I mean, how excited would we be? How, how we'd probably write a few books, we'd go on the internet and do a blog, we'd get the local news, an angel's going to turn up in Wrexham, an angel, an actual angel is going to turn up. Moses said, no deal. I don't want an angel. I want you, Lord. It's not about angelic beings, he said. It's about you. Exodus 33, verse 15. If your presence doesn't go with us, then don't even go. Don't, I don't even want to go. How will anyone else know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish us and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth. It's the presence of God. It's God with us. It's Emmanuel. He is with us, dear friends. And we need to be more and more aware of that presence. We need to be more and more aware that God is with us when we turn up to settings like this, and that we are a people who are filled with his Spirit. That's what it says in verse 22 to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, Jesus had already told the disciples, go into all the world. And he said, but wait. But he said, go. No, wait. Go or wait. Which one is it, Jesus? Make your mind up. It's wait until the spirit of God comes upon you. It's wait till the spirit of God fills you. It's wait Till the Spirit comes. Now, dear friends, we don't have to wait anymore because the Spirit has come. And you look what happened when the Spirit did come. He flooded that local church. And as I mentioned at the beginning in my introduction, they went from a timid, shy, nervous group 
who were hiding away, really. Their leader had actually denied their saviour to a little servant girl. Suddenly, that leader goes from being timid to being the boldest man in Jerusalem that day as he preaches such a message where people are cut to the heart, blaming them for the crucifixion of Jesus. You killed him. I don't even know him, he said earlier. Now he said, you killed him. And they said, what must we do? And he said, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. Be baptised. And then he said, you will be filled. The promised Holy Spirit will be given to you. As Jesus had promised, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Dear friends, that's actually what happened. How are we going to take this gospel into Wrexham? How are we going to take it into your school, into your college, into your factory, into your office, into your community, into your school gate? How are we going to do that? By building on Jesus knowing we're in Christ. By being a people built together with good relationships between us. And by being a people filled with the presence of God. That the filling of the Spirit isn't something we look back that happened in 1985 or 1994 or 2001. But we are a living temple filled with the living Holy Spirit. 